Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Wrestling with History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And you can find that on your favorite podcast feed or your favorite podcast app, or just go to the brand new VOCNation.com. By Thursday, it should be fully operational. The voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, with wonderful Willie the Legend Maker, Bill Apter, Killer Ken Resnick. And I'll ask you first, Ken, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, it's a cold, rainy night in Minnesota, but I hearken back to a couple weeks ago when it was sunny in 84. And as everyone that lives in Minnesota says, summer in Minnesota is absolutely fabulous if it happens to fall on a weekend. <laughs> Bill, the weather for uh, our neck of the woods out in that uh, northeast corridor was pretty nice today. Seventy oh, some degrees. Great today, and uh, uh, just uh, it was beautiful out. Good walking weather. Good uh, uh, weather to stay inside and do your uh, do your work as yeah. well, and look outside. And good weather to say when it gets a little dark at, we can uh, come and join the POC Nation, and wrestle with history yeah i saw ken you have coming up in july and i'm going to try to work this out in july you posted on your facebook feed that you're going to be at the gathering number two which is years in the making in charlotte north carolina and i think that is a great opportunity for the three of us to do our first ever live show live podcast so Stay tuned. We're not, I'm, I'm talking this through live, but 
I got permission from my wife that if we are able to do it, she will bless that appearance. What date is that in July? Because I'm away for, I'm on assignment. Um, it's the, um, towards 20. the end of the month. Yeah. What is it? It is July. Of course we're doing this. It's, we're live to tape. So uh, it's the, 20, the weekend of the 22nd, 23rd, I will and not be available. So my, my peeps in Charlotte, North Carolina, I, one of the uh, members of my family is having a, uh, a birthday and will be away for four or five days. So I have a lot of uh, uh, after chatters in Charlotte, North Carolina that I wish I could see, but it won't be this particular well, one. Well, now that conventions are starting to get back, I guarantee you there will be a live wrestling with history in your future at some point. So stay we tuned. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. So this week we're going to get into the one and only WWE Hall of Famer, Captain Lou Albano. And I say WWE Hall of Famer. I'm allowed to say WWE Hall of Famer because that's what he is. So chew, chew on that, WWE uh, well, copyrights. WWF. Yes, yes. He started. That's when he started, but he is a WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, <laughs> before we get into Captain Lou, we got a lot of feedback on our show last week, uh, which focused on Roddy Piper. And some other things. We talked about Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. Ken, your little clip with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan and Bill, your follow-up to Tony and Bobby potentially not getting along, did uh, well over 10,000 views on YouTube, which is pretty popular for this show. Uh, that that was a popular little clip, uh, and you cleared the air, Bill. Wow, 10,000. 10, That's pretty good. 10,000 is pretty good. You cleared the air, Bill. Uh, Tony Schiavone didn't really hate Bobby Heenan. He hated everybody because he was done yeah. with the business. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Some feedback from that You're show. Smiling. You're happy about that. It was a good finale for you. They lived happily ever after. Yes. Yes. And Tony's back in action. Uh, some feedback from that show. El Otomico says, I was very critical of Tony's work in latter-day WCW, but looking back, I understand. I loved his stuff in MLW and AEW. So, goes right with what you said, Bill. Tony is back and better than ever. Better than ever. Worldwide. No, that's us. Ken, did you ever get a chance to work with Tony at all in your career? It seems like you guys just missed each other. I have never even met him. Wow. Just never cross paths. Yeah. Interesting. I spent tons of hours with Tony through the years. WCW also when he was working in, uh, in baseball, my, my son Brandon worked for the uh, minor league team for a while there. And well, uh, well Bruce, that clears it up. If, if Bill spent tens of tons of hours with him, no wonder he was bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not a bit of herb, but uh, <laughs> that was too good to pass off. <laughs> all right, but no, we I spent a lot of time uh, with him when I used to go and do the uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated scouting reports uh, on TBS for Jim Crockett. I spent a lot of time with Tony, and he was he was terrific. And a lot of people don't realize he's got like eight hundred children. <laughs> he's a great family man. He really is. Eight hundred's a lot of uh, churning and turning and burning, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can hear Tony talk about all of his uh, sexual uh, 
deviancy and on his podcast he talks a lot about uh weird stuff like that i i i'm i'm just thinking that this may have been the first time someone that supposedly has 800 children was ever referred to a great family man oh, he is. I, he makes time, <laughs> I mean if you do the math between like there's got to be like 10 months between you Absolutely. go wait a minute it doesn't Absolutely. work deviancy was the wrong word too i don't know what the word i was looking for john firth says uh, heenan was only there for the money and tony had enough and wanted out wcw2at really so Again, same same stuff. WCW. Uh, lots of people just there for the money, right, Bill? It was well, that's that's the, a lot of people in the wrestling business were there just for the money and eventually to get out. But there are a lot of people that were in it for the money and the glory. Yeah. Well, Jim, and, and you know, I, I take a little issue with that comment, having known Bobby, worked with him, you know, through the AWA, the WWF, and even saw him a number of times after that. Sure, you know, he was there for the money. I, I mean, anybody that works a job is because they get paid. Right. Um, but I think wherever Bobby was, he was also invested in trying to make the product and the business as good as he can. And I don't think you can say that about that many people in wrestling. So I, I take issue with Bobby who was just there for the money. You know, sure he was getting paid, but everything Bobby did was to try and make the, the business and the product better. Yeah, if you know, that was something, if that was something that I gave that opinion about, that's not what I was trying to drive home. I thought you meant in general, people are in this for the money. Oh, Bobby Heenan uh, was in this for creative reasons, money, and also the bonding with the family of the people in the business. Yeah, it, it's something not everybody experiences, and it's a, it's a great it's a great feeling there. And Bobby was a large part of that. Everybody loved him. And Bobby liked working with Hogan, right? Hogan and and Jimmy Hart was there. And there are a lot of the Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, Kurt Henning, a lot of the people that he had grown to love respect and work with for a long time ended up in wcw oh, so sure. it seems like a good fit sure. and and i think bobby always had a passion for the business and there are a lot of great people that are very good in the business very successful but don't have the kind of passion for it that you know bobby did and and i think you saw that you know, in his later years when his health was, you know, declining so rapidly, he still, you know, with Cindy's help, tried to make as many conventions, you know, as he could, because he loved everything about the business, including, as Bill rightly referenced, the, the family kind of unity and, and the bonding of the business. And back in those days, because of, of the kayfabe era, you know, it was like kind of everybody was kind of had everybody's back to a degree, yep. but he loved every part of the business, including the fans. And don't want to harp on Bobby, but I think Bill would agree, you know, you saw him work. Bobby had a sense of timing that, you know, they could be chanting weasel, 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 and he would just ignore it. But when he felt that the, the intensity of the chant maybe was dropping a little bit, 
he knew exactly when to just kind of turn and glance and glare at the fans to bring their involvement and intensity right back up. So he, he had impeccable timing. And it's funny, the last few times that I saw him when he was very ill and all that, I had mentioned on the uh, show that we did about him is that we always did our imitation of Pedro Morales. We'd always go, I am ready for any kind of action, baby. When I'm shooting pictures, he'd come over, he'd do this. The last time I saw him, he could barely walk. He was getting out of a car with his lovely wife, Cindy. The driver opened the back, Bobby comes out. I think he had a cane or a walker. Looked up, he saw me and the first thing he went was, he just remembered everything. Yeah, he was a dear friend. He was a good, good he was a good guy. Um, about WCW, one thing that I, I, I did a lot of work early on with Jim Neidhart, and I got to spend a lot of time with him uh, when we were doing a lot of uh, conventions, and, and he was a big supporter of the radio show we did in Philadelphia. And Jim said to me uh, that in WCW, it wasn't just about the money. It was about the schedule combined with the money, because you couldn't get, you could make that money potentially in WWE, but you had to work twice the dates. That's true. And, what a lot of people flocked to WCW for was they could work half the dates and guarantee themselves the pay. And he said that was some of the greatest years of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It also saved a lot of their, their body parts from not working as much. Another one on Roddy, or, uh, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. AG Awesome says, why would anyone speculate Tony and Bobby anymore when Tony said exactly what happened? So I guess you can go and search for Tony's uh, shoot interviews and you can you can listen to Tony's perspective. But, you know, I don't think it's guessing. Uh, you guys have experience with those two guys. And Listen, wrestling people have been known to alter their stories from time well, they, to time. They do because it, they, if, if you really think about it, you know, you change one night. You know, you go home. You can, I can't stand that guy. And the next day, you you think about it overnight, and it's like, well, maybe it's not that bad. We'll see what we can do next week. And and again, Mister Awesome, this is perspectives too. So Tony might have said something, but Bill might have been around Tony at the time that this was happening. And Bill can give you the perspective that he thinks Tony had well, and that Tony might not want to admit. Yeah. Or, or Tony may, may say that what Bill's way off base and that's fine too. I'm calling it the way I saw it. There you go. Uh, the Iron Sheik or the team that manages the Iron Sheik social media account. And uh, this is, uh, this is not edited for, for profanity. I did not have to do it. They kept it clean. He doesn't always do that. Almost never. God bless the Piper. He iron Sheik, class legend of the earth. Mr. T just the jabroni. So I think that's the iron Sheik's <laughs> way of saying that he uh, appreciated Piper a lot more than he appreciated Mr. T as the only, only the iron Sheik could say. Mr. T and Sheik Vito Colgan. No, that's uh, uh, that's right out of the iron Sheik's mouth. Again, there was a whole, uh, a whole lot of people that did not want Mr. T being elevated to the point where they elevated him. And Piper was very upset with that, as I mentioned, and a lot of the guys were as well. But then again, this was Vince McMahon's plan to bring uh, more eyes to the pro, to the sports entertainment business by including a, uh, a celebrity and a celebrity yeah. like Cindy Lauper. Again, 
Mr. Was Mr. T doing anything for them when you were there? You were uh, there. No, uh, he was at a, a couple shows. Um, Who was the I talent think... opinion of Mr. T across the board? Um, I, I, I don't think it was that high, but as, as I talked about and, and, and Bill has referenced, uh, and, you know, we've talked about the, the great, you know, series that, that A&E is doing. And if you, even the biography on Steve Austin, he talks about having to live in his car, not have enough money to even eat and buy gas. Right. Right. And, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, Mr. T, you know, gets for a few weeks, gets taught some moves and suddenly he's like a main event at, at, at WrestleMania. And, and there were so many guys that more than paid their dues to get where they are. And there were a lot of, you know, the, the, the mid card and, and opening card guys that were still trying to pay their dues, you know, working night after night. And all of a sudden here's some guy from Hollywood and he's now the main event. So, yeah, I, I, I just think that in terms of, acceptance with a lot of the guys you know mr t kind of came to the plate with two strikes and a cracked bat he didn't have a great chance well said that's true uh, but again the 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 sales of the business because of that made more money for everybody even on the other oh sure I was but, but even bill as, as you referenced you know cindy lopper i mean she came in she brought, you know, kind of the music and wrestling and rock and roll all together, but she was never presented as a, a top wrestling main eventer. No, you know, she was kind of a manager. So I, I, I think the views of what Cindy Lauper was adding and what Mr. T was adding were a lot different because certainly none of the talent in the locker room, male or female, could bring that molding of rock and roll and wrestling together. But there were an awful lot of talent that thought, given the shot, they could, you know, fill Mr. T's spot and certainly work better. So, you know, Mr. T and, and Cindy Lauper is kind of Bruce comparing, you know, apples to yeah. oranges. And, you know, it's funny because you, you discussed them working they didn't even have to be able to work i mean uh hogan and piper and all these people you know uh, did what they had to do to get mr t over because yeah. again he was mainstream and if if mr t wasn't involved with this whole thing wrestlemania might not have been the success that it was it it drew the entire world's eyes to, to major star yeah major and, and and, and I think there was a, 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 some resentment that, as, as Bill you know, referenced, and it was so right, that all these guys, even you know, leading up a little bit to, to WrestleMania, that they had to, in the matches, kind of carry Mr. T, which detracted from them being able to showcase all of their talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not like the days when the wrestlers were and the managers were the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. 
one more and then uh, we're late for a break. So I'll get that in John. And listen, this is a, a little controversial and I'm not sure about, I haven't heard about any of this. So I'll, I'll be the first one to say that. And if, if you guys don't want to comment, just say no comment. John says, Piper was always very defensive of the business based on what happened with Patterson and honky tonk man. We don't know the Pat Patterson sexual stuff he did to Roddy. Piper didn't go into details, just said he was taken advantage of. Honky Tonk Man, on the other hand, was stealing trademarks and tried to get Piper's name and livelihood. Do you guys have any awareness of anything well, with I, Roddy I, Piper? And, would, no, it's yeah. hearsay to me. I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I never heard anything along those lines. I heard that Honky Tonk was trying to buy up copyrights on a lot of performers' uh, names and images. It's just another business that he was uh, going into, but I don't know enough about it to really uh, go into detail. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one to skip. And we thank you for the feedback. Keep tweeting at VOC Nation. Look, uh, send emails to admin at vocnation.com, or you can always, if you see our show, post it on one of the wrestling websites. We invite you to comment there. And we'll be posting uh, and having comments available on the brand new vocnation.com starting uh, on Thursday, April the 29th, 2021. So look for that. We're going to take- And, and they can still tweet us. And they can, uh, yeah, at VOC Nation, of course. That's very tweet of you. <laughs> well, don't, take... don't, doesn't the show have like Resnick after Vox tweet? Or... Yeah, yeah. We do have the show Twitter, Resnick after VOC. Resnick after VOC. It's a long handle. It's easier to tweet. Well, just look up rest at Wrestling With History. Check all of them. Ken, I'm late for a break. I'm late for a break. Give me a break because the captain wants to come in. He's got ability, agility, guts, maneuverability. Bodenhouse pie, brother. Captain Lou Albano on the other side. Not the actual captain, but we'll talk about him. And I, I want to send you into the break with this uh, gem from the early 1970s. It was an after chat. Lou Albano and crazy Luke Graham. We'll be this back on the other side. Before he was the captain. Too. Before he was the captain. Wrestling with history worldwide on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Okay, this is Bill After. We're speaking here with Louis Albano. Lou, the last time we spoke to you, you said Tarzan Tyler was given a fast count in his match with Morales. Has anything come up about this now? Well, I told you that we've uh, protested this uh, to the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. I felt that Tyler was given a fast count and we still uh, under protest and in fact the uh, match is not settled yet. I still claim that Tyler is the world champion. He has beaten Morales. He beat him fair and square. They didn't give Tyler a, a fair count and we're, as I said, we're under protest right now and we'll let you know very shortly what happens. Okay, Lou, what, uh, what's your prediction tonight for the match between uh, Luke Graham and Pedro Morales? I feel crazy definitely that it's not crazy Luke Graham. Don't refer to Luke Graham as crazy Luke. He's fabulous Luke Graham. The man is, uh, without a doubt, unbelievable. He has uh, great strength, great ability, great agility, great power, great speed, great strength. And above all, the man has the heart of a lion. I feel he'll go in that ring tonight. He'll take Pedro Morales. He'll defeat him. He'll beat him. He'll humble him. He'll humiliate him. And above all, we're going to string Morales up in the middle of Madison Square Garden tonight. We're going to make an example of Morales because we feel that the man is a fraud. We don't accept him as a world champion. We don't feel he's a world champion. We don't feel he has the capabilities. And I feel that the fabulous Luke Graham is without a doubt the greatest wrestler in the world today. He'll prove himself in the ring tonight. He has made certain statements about Pedro Morales. He'll prove this and he'll show that he is truly a world champion. 
Okay, thank you very much, Lou Albano, so with Bill Apter on Inside Wrestling. Luke Graham. Luke, before the uh, before the match tonight with Pedro Morales, can you give us some sort of an, a prediction? Man, I'm all psyched up for this match. All I can predict is win, 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 and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out there and do just exactly that. Anything else, Lou Albano said it, baby. That's all. Okay, now, Luke, one more thing. We saw you on television yesterday. You took a chair and slammed it over Pedro's head. What made you do this? I said I was through interviewing. Okay, Bill Apter with Crazy Luke Graham on Inside Wrestling. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the <coughs> World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found a man who can beat Pedro Morales. Better than Ivan Koloff was I to you? I wouldn't compare my man. I'm not knocking Ivan Koloff. He was a great man, a great champion. Let's not even make comparisons. But I've come across King Curtis known before as Curtis Ayakawa. You mean that now, great Hawaiian star? great Hawaiian star. As you know, he comes from royalty. His father was a king, his grandfather was a king, and this is handed down to his ancestry. Now I would like to tell you this about him. The man weighs 300 pounds, stands six foot four, and he is unbelievable and unbeatable. He has great speed, agility, power, strength, and above all, the heart of a vicious lion. How long has he been wrestling? Well, let though? me tell you, the man has been wrestling for 10 years. He is 30 years old. He started at the age of 20. He wears on his wrists a couplink on each wrist. And right. I'll tell you there's a reason for this. The prince was recommended, or I should say the king was recommended to me by a very famous psychiatrist in California. Knowing that I have dealt with psychiatric patients before, he recommended the king to me, stating that, Lou, I feel you can control mm. this man. Right. You can handle this man. You have the ability to as look you did with Brower. Mind, as I did right. with Brower. You have the ability to see, to look, to, uh, to uh, tame, to uh, uh, control and to bring this man out into a world champion. Now I got together with the king, I talked to him and I'm able to control him. And I'd like to tell you this, the couplings on his wrist are very, very, very important. By applying 90 pounds of pressure to each wrist, I'm able to send a message through the main artery up into the medulla of wow. the brain, which like a pulls the man down. That's right. Hmm. Now, if these bands are removed, I have no control over my champion. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If anyone were to remove these bands from King Curtis, I would not be responsible. You tear the garden apart. Subject to whatever would happen, wow. I will not be held responsible. And I'd also like to say this. There are many nights I have to stay close by. I'm in the next room. I hear screaming, yelling. The man wakes up during the night. I have to put these couplings on to turn around and to calm him down. One question, now, Luke. What's here. Go right ahead. What's his uh, height and weight? So he's six foot four. I stated that before, and he's 300 pounds. 300 pounds. He has never been pinned. 
His well, shoulders have never been pinned to a canvas. The man is unbelievable. He has great power, great speed. And when you see him, one look at this man, and you'll know that Lou Albano has finally come up with the next heavyweight champion of the world. He's going to be a great a world champion, my champion, the people's champion, right. King Curtis. Okay, I want to thank you very much, Lou. We'll be looking forward to him and uh, seeing him in the ring and, as you say, becoming the next world heavyweight champion. Bill, it's always a great pleasure to be with you. I tell you, I don't uh, particularly appreciate some of the remarks you make and some of the statements that so you We're trying to be a little more conservative what? now, Lou. I will appear on your programs, and I will. I mean, the reason for this is for the publicity that you can bring me and for You the mean that's the only reason only you come? Reason well, I don't know if no we're going to ask you to come back in this case. I would not appear on your program for any other reason. There is nothing personal involved in these interviews, but for what I can gain, I will appear on your program. <laughs> Boy, nice guy. Lou Albano with Bill nice After. Nice guys end up last. BOC Nation Wrestling Network, Wrestling with History. And there you have it, Captain Lou. You heard Crazy Luke Graham. And then Captain Crew, Clue. <laughs> yeah, Captain Clue Lou. Captain Lou managing King Curtis in both clips from the early 1970s. You can hear things like that exclusively on our Patreon channel. Go to premium dot vocnation.com or patreon forward slash right voc nation right. and sign up it's just uh nine dollars a month for that tier but on the three dollar tier which is so inexpensive it's less than a cup of coffee in most cases you get uh commercial free shows uh audio and video in most cases and most of the money goes to our talent and it helps keep them uh incented to give these shows to you and uh it it helps them out so support our talent and sign up for the premium channel premium.vocnation.com or on patreon did you notice by the way in that clip with uh king curtis how the captain could tell a story you know i found the man in the in the cliffs of hawaii and he was how you know he just he had such a great, and this again is before he was Captain Lou Albano. He was able to make up in his mind, no writers there, make up stories about when he managed uh, Lonnie Maine, Moodog Maine, how he, how he found him howling with the wolves. And people believed it. It was great stuff. It's it insane. Great stuff. Ken, I got to ask you this question about uh, King Curtis, because you were there. I think I've seen interviews where King Curtis was uh, he was managing Kamala for a good period of 87 when you were there. Any good story? He always seemed like a, a legit crazy dude. Did you did you spend any good time with King Curtis Iakea? You, you know, I, I, I really didn't. I mean, he was a good guy. He would kind of come in and do his interviews and uh, you're right in that he was kind of a wild and crazy guy. And it got to the point where in the interview room, they would bring him in, do his interviews and then take him back to the dressing room because he was, he would distract the other guys. And sometimes we'd be doing an interview and he would be trying to tell somebody a story and you could hear him laughing. We'd have to cut and do it over. So I didn't get a lot of chance to spend a lot of time with him because it'd be, all right, come in, do the interviews. Okay, you're out. Goodbye. Go back to wherever. He was in the wizard. Younger days, in his younger days, I'll never forget this, King Curtis. And I was really green in the business. It's 1971, early 72, at Madison Square Garden. He had a, 
um, I forgot who he wrestled at the garden, but he was all bloody. And I ran back to the dressing room to get a picture of him. And he was already had a bandage on his head. I said, oh, I wanted to get a bloody cover shot for the, for the cover of the magazine. Took the bandage off and he took his fingers and just went like this on his forehead until he started bleeding again. And he put his head in the sink. So the blood was dripping all over the place. And the, yeah, this is what people did back in the day there. It's insane. King Curtis, a lot of people you know, that don't know him, because that was before their time, he was the wizard and the original manager of Kamala when they brought him in to WWE. And then... Wait, wait, wait. The, he was the wizard? The wizard. Yeah, that's what they called him. The wizard and Kimshi with Kamala. They oh, yeah. Call not him, the grand wizard. Of not Rath the grand wizard. Oh, they okay. called him the wizard. And then in WCW, he was the guy that ran the dungeon with the Taskmaster. They yeah. brought him in. Do you remember that? Sure, Those but remember crazy. King Curtis was also one of the wildest wrestlers in the whole world back in the, he had a feud with Chief J Strongbow where we did a big story with who brought the, the knife into the ring. It was a plastic knife. He was a total maniac in the, in the uh, mold of, uh, 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 George the Animal Steel. And uh, I mean, he, he, was, he was a maniac, Bulldog Dick the Bulldog Brower. But when you talk about maniacs, when you talk about maniacs, the early days of Lou Albano, pre-Captain Lou Albano, um, he was he start, he was such a nice gentleman. I met him when I was a fan and I was standing outside Sunnyside Garden. He got off a bus. He was wrestling that day with Tony Altamore as a tag team, the Sicilians. He got off a bus and he, I said, oh, Mr. Albano, can I have your autograph? He says, well, I, I need some help here. I need to make a phone call on a pay phone. Do you have uh, two dimes for a nickel? And I, I didn't even think about it. And I gave him two dimes for a nickel. And he said, thank you. Was, and he worked me. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was absolutely incredible. But he started off to be a quote unquote regular bad guy wrestler there. He wasn't crazy uh, way, way back when until he started managing people. And that's when his personality was allowed to come out after he broke up with Tony Altimore's the Sicilians. And he wasn't as a wrestler. And, and Ken, I want to ask you when you first met him, when you came in, but real quick, Bill, as a wrestler, Lou Albano was not a top of the card wrestler, right? He no, was he, he was, he was like a first, second, third match against people like Arnold Scoland yeah. or Miguel Torres or uh, uh, Joe, uh, the Baron Joe Turco. No. And they, they tried to elevate him. He was, closer to main event at the Westchester County Center because he lived in White Plains, New York. And the guys that lived there, like he and Arnold Skolan, they were always sprinkled a little bit higher on the, uh, on the card. But no, there was nothing special about him at that point. He was a big stocky guy. His hero was Bruno Sammartino. He wanted to be like Bruno, like everybody else wanted to at that particular point. But he never really, never really took off. The Sicilians were an, a, a, an average tag team that put over the tag teams like Mark Lewin and Don Curtis, the right. Fabulous Kangaroos, etc. So yeah. So, Bruce, I, I can't help. Are we kind of bearing the lead here in that now for the first time we realize that Bill Apter may have been the precursor to all the conventions and, and autograph shows of today when he, in a sense, paid 15 cents for Lou's autograph. 
That's what, actually it was. It was. You're right. That's, when it's when it's Aldo on the street he like that. Change. He just needed change for the for the phone, and uh, you know, can I give him two dimes for a nickel? When it's it, out on the street, Bill like may that. have been the first fan to pay for an autograph. We're right. like, like we're bearing the lead. I don't. I don't even know if he signed the autograph. <laughs> we call that the Virgil moment. But that's another story for <laughs> the Virgil moment. Ken, what was your first experience with Lou Albano? Um, gregarious, welcoming, fun-loving. And as Bill said, I think one of the things that, you know, aided in his kind of transgression uh, or progression to becoming a manager was way back when Lou was a great, storyteller yes. but that and was great on the interviews whoever he was managing but for anybody that knew and spent any time around Lou you generally had to do his interviews early before he was able to get time with whatever flask he had in his bag so <laughs> there was that part where, and, 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 you know, Lou and Bill, as I'm sure will attest, pretty much wore his Hawaiian shirt and sweatpants. That was basically Lou's attire, you know, 99% of the time. And as the interview day progressed and Lou would pop in and out of the interview room, there were a lot of times, you know, I'd be doing an interview with someone and as the day progressed, Lou would have a habit of somehow losing those sweatpants in front of somebody in the middle of an interview. <laughs> that, that, I don't know if it was a loose tie or not, but there were so many times when suddenly those sweatpants were down around his ankles and he was basically L uh commando <laughs> yes yes keep in mind on the payoff line keep yeah, in, yeah he was basically l keep in mind at one point lou albano was a suit and tie guy he and i love using this word as he told me i engineered ivan kolos victory over bruno sammartino he did and it, this was great because he he want again he wanted to be like bruno but he wound up being one of Bruno's most hated rivals as Lou Albano, because Albano, the Wizard, and Fred Blassie were currently constantly feeding guys in to try and beat either Bruno or Pedro Morales back then. And Albano was involved in one of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history, which was the night that Ivan Koloff beat Bruno San Martino in front of 21,000 fans at Madison Square Garden. Albano was the manager. And the manager of Ivan Koloff. Yes. Yeah. 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 And Albano, so t tell me this. Back in the 70s, especially, managers weren't necessarily, it seems to me, and I wasn't around back then, but managers would kind of come and go with different talent, right? They weren't static like, like you saw later on. Is, no, is they usually true? have. They would usually have, uh, depending upon the wrestler, how strong the character was. They would usually have between one and three matches. There'd be a, a no decision during the first match. Second ma match might have been controversial, and the third match might have been a cage match or a Texas Death match or something like that. Uh, and then they would uh, they would be 
already have somebody else in the shoot for that particular manager. And even if a guy would talk, they, uh, they didn't only use him as a mouthpiece, Albano, Wizard, and uh, uh, Blassie, but they were also used uh, to deter the wrestlers from, uh, from winning with interference. Ken, when you were there, he was mostly a face, right? He was he was manager yeah. of the, the the good guys, the tag team good yeah. guys. Right? My, good guys. My my favorite Lou Albano story, and the great thing about interviewing Lou, and not in a bad way, you never knew what he might come up with in in the body of of, of an interview. I mean, it's like I've, I've told the story we talked about Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik could sometimes just, you know, and swerve, you know, 90 degrees completely off course where, you know, my deal when, you know, Iron Sheik, uh, uh, when he was teaming with Nikolai Volkov, I always said to Nikolai, look, you know, just because you've said your thing, you need to stay engaged because if she, you know, veers off, I'm coming right back to you. So it was kind of like a safety blanket. You know, you, you had to always pay attention with she, but the same with Lou, but in a good way. And, and to this day, and, and I can't remember who he was talking about, but it's m my favorite Lou Albano quote that I like have committed to memory. We're in the middle of an interview and I'm asking him about somebody, and I can't remember if it was who he was managing or an opponent. And all of a sudden, Lou just so he goes, you know, he's so good, so fine, so fast. He can bait the hind end of a tent mouse up with a Fabasca's brush on a Saturday night, and that's fast. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it just, you know, I mean, we finished the interview, and I said, where did you come up with that? He said, I can't even remember what I said. We had to roll back the uh -oh. tape, and it was yeah. just. So I, I have always so good, so fine, so fast. He can paint the hind end of a titmouse with a Fobaskish brush on a Saturday night, and that's fast. I have always remembered that that's line. And, and I mean, that was classic Lou Albano. He just would come up with stuff. I, I mean, he, he was kind of one of those guys that you had such a good time when you were doing interviews with him, you, you had to guard against kind of getting engrossed in what story he was telling and forgetting you're doing an interview and you got to watch the time and everything else. I mean, he just, he had that magnetic personality um, and, you know, that came out and that's why, you know, he, you know, was such a, a great baby face. He loved ethnic jokes. Some of the oh, jokes yeah. he used to tell, you can't tell anymore because people would become offended there. And a lot of times, a lot of times he told them on the air, uh, talking about Pedro Morales or Bruno, et cetera. And I used to love also when he had um, wrestlers uh, like tag teams like Fuji and Saido, he would dress up like he was Japanese as well. And he'd make like he was talking Japanese as well. He was a great character. They let him do whatever he wanted to. He was actually not an official part of Vince Sr.'s office, but he was a, a non-official official part of sure. that thing. He used to hang out with uh, Vince and Gorilla and Arnold Skoland and, uh, uh, in the Holland Hotel wrestling office there, and they would all smoke and play cards and everything. And he was part of that group. 
and, so, and, and the great thing, and, and as Bill alluded to, Lou, Lou loved telling jokes, loved telling yeah. ethnic jokes, but everyone knew that Lou was just telling them because they were funny. He had no animosity to any group, anyone. So Lou could get away with it because everybody that knew Lou knew he was just saying it because it was yeah. funny, not, yeah. you know, taking a, a dig at anyone. And, you know, when people know that about you, certainly you, even though today you couldn't do it, back then he could do it all the time and oh, sure. nobody took offense. The, the other thing was he generated more fan heat than almost anyone wrestler or manager than I had ever seen when he would come out at the garden doing that walk, like that camel walk he did. And he'd get into the ring, he'd start screaming at the fans and yelling at them. And he'd have the cigar in his mouth and everything. They went crazy. And then like Bruno would uh, come out, 20,000 fans be screaming, Bruno, Bruno. And Albano would cover his ears up. He didn't want to hear it. And Bruno would come down to the ring and Albano would start that walk again and Bruno would just slug him once and Albano would go down and roll out of the ring and the people went crazy. It was like they couldn't wait to see him beaten at all. And he was believable that this is who he was. He was, he was a, a, a crazy manager who wanted Bruno and Pedro dead. We've been doing this for since January and you guys have told a lot of stories over the months about people uh, I'm not going to say working in the ring intoxicated, but there's a lot of alcohol and drugs flowing back in those days. And it doesn't seem like really? that would that would pass the test today. But that was apparently very common for people to... No, Lou didn't do drugs. At, not at not drugs. I'm okay. saying because between all of the locker room, there was alcohol and drugs flowing. But it was very common, apparently, to work slightly intoxicated when you were either in the ring or outside the ring. Yeah, but there was an intoxication and in, you used the term in the dressing rooms. The guys would drink before they got there and they would drink after afterwards. They they really weren't drinking in the uh, um, in the locker room. But you know, a lot of guys not where not up in New York, except yeah. in the smaller clubs. They, they, there, there, were, there were generally flasks in the bottom of a lot of bags in the locker room. Well, I don't know if they could get away with it at Madison Square Garden. They were pretty strict at the garden. Well, the, the, at Madison Square Garden, you got to remember that you basically had, you know, the entire, you know, brass, uh, you know, at the garden. You know, everybody was there. But, you know, uh most of the other house shows, there was generally, you know, one agent and sometimes two. So you could do things on the road that you couldn't do at Madison Square Garden because, you know, at, at Garden, you know, Vince would be there, Pat Patterson would be there, Terry Garvin would be there. Well, the State Athletic Commission. Everybody was there. So there were eyes on you no matter where you went. But you knew that Lou, prior even to the Garden shows, Lou would come over and want to pitch a story to me, and you could, I, I could get drunk just on his breath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there were, <clears throat> I would say, probably more than anyone else, uh, a lot of interviews that Lou sometimes had to redo because the, the alcohol would sometimes limit 
uh, or I, I guess really not limit, where he would sometimes get a little carried away with things. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it would be like, stop, cut, Lou, you can't say that. What did I do? You know, um, Vince Jr. had a hard time controlling him a lot at the Hamburg TV tapings a lot of the times there. And it was, was Vince, fun. Was Vince a drinker? Ken or, or Bill? Which Vince? Vince Jr. No. Not Vincent really Kennedy. He's Vincent so, Kennedy McMahon. Right. No, no, socially. Socially, but he was not. No, no, he. He, he didn't have a problem or anything like no, that. No, not at all. Neither was Vince Sr. Vince Sr. was very classy and uh, didn't go for that. But, uh, you know, Lou, uh, Lou was known to. Uh, to be a drinker. I remember when he came to the PWI offices in Freeport. Hold hold that, hold that, because I'm going to do that on the other side of the break. On the other side of the break, I want to talk about Lou's trip to the PWI office, and I want to talk about Lou Albano. Vince McMahon used Lou Albano for the launch of the rock, rock and wrestling era and that lead into WrestleMania. So I, I want to ask you guys, for such, for such a... Um, really uh, unorthodox person, what what led Vince to have Captain Lou be such a prominent figure? I mean, he was there with Cindy Lauper. We have to talk about the, the, the earrings. And yeah, the, the rubber band rings. Yeah. Let's do that on the other side. Take a quick break. This is Wrestling With History featuring the great Bill Apter and the wonderful Ken Resnick right here on VOC Nation. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Wrestling with history worldwide on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Go out and visit VOCNation.com, the brand new VOCNation.com. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation and you can tweet us feedback on the shows you tell us what you think about the new site and you can also comment on the shows from the new site as well we're very excited we have the premium channel that's open for business three dollars a month gets you commercial free access to our shows audio and video and also for nine dollars a month you get after's archives which includes the hits like uh, what you heard coming in and out of the first break with uh interviews from the uh entire lineage of bill after that you probably Back 70s and some of the 80s and every territory covered never heard before uh speaking of bill after uh, we're talking about captain lou albano i was, I was going to say kamala because we <laughs> talked about him during the break uh, captain lou albano and we were talking about uh you know his love of alcohol so, Bill, you have a story about Lou visiting the PWI office. And, and I'm going to preface this by asking you, 
Does this story involve uh, any kind of drinking? What story doesn't with the captain? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, the, uh, he came out to the office and we uh, in Freeport, Long Island, and uh, we took him to uh, we took him to lunch at a place down on the uh, uh, the dock side down in Freeport. There, dark side or the dock side? Is it dock. New York dock yeah. side? No, no, the dock side in Freeport, Long Island is a it, it's surrounded by water. Well, you you were you're a New York guy, so you know dock dock no, dock, dock, dock no from Boston. by the water. A restaurant right on the water, very classy place. And he had and Ken Ken would say that the dockside had a roof. <laughs> well, he had his, right. he had his Hawaiian shirt on. I'll be here all night. He had a, he had his Hawaiian shirt. He had a Hawaiian shirt on. Uh, he had tacks in his um, in his cheeks. How was that? Okay, I'm going to tell you what that was. He had tacks in the cheeks with earrings on it. You can see it here, probably um, in one of these photos here. But let me tell you what that was for, uh, because it's, it's something that's very serious that you think is shtick, and it's not. All right. Yeah, yeah, but it's not shtick at all. He was very strong into uh, the fight against uh, multiple sclerosis, along with Cindy Lauper. And he said that he would wear these things uh, in his cheeks until the world, until this was cured. Huh. So anyway, he came to the restaurant he had the things in and people were asking him some people recognized him and all this and he had already uh i don't remember who drove him out to our office but he already uh had quite a few drinks on him and somebody uh came over to him and asked him uh you know is the blood real this is a patron at the restaurant and he says is the blood real and he scratched his forehead, and this is like King Curtis, and he made himself bleed right in the middle of the restaurant there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah, well, you want to see anything else? And then he laughed, and the customer laughed, and they had a nice time. And uh, he was a joy to be with in the office, because we came back to the office. He was a little on the front uh, <laughs> side. And... Uh, um, we did a, we did a few uh, audio interviews, and he posed for some pictures. And uh, uh, I don't know if either of you know also, beside that, that he was a pretty regular character on the old Joe Petticino, um Pro Wrestling This Week show. He was on there quite a bit um, as well. Captain was was such an unusual interview and talent. I know I'm going kind of on the side here but we loved having him up in the office he came up two or three times and he was always one of he basically was one of the most fun persons i ever met and the last year i saw him he was with his uh, niece cami albano at a convention and i could see that all the energy had sapped out of him and i walked over to him and anytime i used to walk over you know something billy blah 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 and this time it was hey billy how you doing it's just, it wasn't the same Lou Albano. They, they, his zest for life wasn't there anymore. And I never thought I would see that in <laughs> Lou Albano. Miss him very much. He was a great character. His wife, Jerry, uh, used to always pick the phone up when I call the house. And she said, oh, hang on. I know you want to talk to him, not me. And uh, he'd go on for an hour without me saying anything. And that was pretty weird. And did, did you... Did you keep in contact with Albano post 
WWF? Did you stay in touch at all? Um, yeah, not other than you know, like seeing him at a an event or something. Um, yeah, we weren't you know that close. But the one thing about Lou that I always found interesting, um, no matter how inebriated he might get, he was still a fun guy. Yes, he never yeah. got mean. Uh, he was just a, a, a fun loving guy that, you know, his, his inhibitions might be gone, but you know, a lot of guys, um, if they have a, a couple too many, will get, you know, mean or obstinate, or, you know, you just kind of say, you know, good guy, but if he's drinking, I don't want to be around him. That was never the case with Lou. No. And keep, keep in mind also that Lou, uh, was involved in the music business. I forgot the name of the group that he fronted for. And he was also in several movies. He was in the movie Wise Guy with uh, Joe yeah. Piscopo, Danny DeVito. So he, he was one of those people that helped move that whole rock and wrestling Hollywood uh, connection. And the video, the Cindy Lauper video, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Uh, he's uh, in the, the video, right? And that or... Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so, Bruce, you, you asked the question, you kind of wondered why Vince yeah. picked Lou to kind of be the linchpin to, to Cindy Lauper and, and the rock and wrestling. And Lou was one of, you know, Cindy Lauper was big. She was kind of outlandish. But Lou was the one that had the same kind of gregarious personality, a little outlandish. Well, I think Vince realized that he would, you know, Cindy would never be able to overshadow him, that the combination worked, but it would still be more about the wrestling just because of the personality and character that yes. Lou Albano was, where someone a little lesser might have gotten kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah, and keep in mind that Lou had developed a relationship with Dave Wolf, the manager of, uh, of Cindy Lauper back then, because Dave Wolf was a big wrestling fan. And just this whole uh, group getting together, the vibes were all set. It was just, it was perfect. It, it couldn't have been done without any, with, with, without all those people involved. Lou was such an integral part of that entire rock and wrestling scene and he, the, the thing with he and Cindy Lauper just fit together perfectly. Yeah, and, and Lou was a big part of Vince's launch for his, the national promotion with oh, yes. rock and wrestling and, and Lou was a centerpiece. Tell me this uh, as we wrap up guys, cause we're, we're trending towards wow. the end. Please. Wow. Yeah, really. A fast episode, oh, right? My. Yeah. And see what, what you, what you, fans don't know is that last week bill was fighting ken and i on lou albano and here we are you know 55 plus minutes into this thing we've we've barely scratched the surface and bill's telling all kinds of stories and now he's so glad that we picked lou albano. I, and my concern was and since we're live on tape here was that people in like uh uh ken's part of the world in the midwest and people in Canada and other places uh, didn't know the Lou Albano that I knew, the, the pre-Captain Lou Albano that mainly was a mainstay in the WWWF. 
Yeah, I think that people that saw Lou Albano in the WrestleMania era appreciate those stories that you have, Bill. I think that's your that's your uh, your value. It's your value to to this show and to the wrestling community. Good, Ken. And and if if you think about it, granted, it was a little. It was towards the end of his career, but where today the kids are so much a target audience for WWE when Lou became involved in the Super Mario. Oh yes, Lou was really the first. WWF superstar to make inroads with young kids through right. the Mario I forgot all about that. Yeah, he was he was Mario on the Super Mario World wait, wait, television wait. show. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. It's Mario. 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 Uh, the the one thing I wanted to ask you, Ken, before we wrap it up, is interview styles, manager styles. So in those days, Lou was maybe a generation before wrestling fans nationally got to know Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart, even though they all did operate in the seventies, but you think about the style of Heenan versus Jimmy Hart versus Lou Albano. What was it like to work with those guys behind the scenes? How was their approach to getting a talent over in an interview and a promo and getting towards a match? Um, Yeah, I, I think it is, I've talked about, and we've talked about many times on this show. If you look at Bobby Heenan, he always made sure within the body of an interview, while certainly putting over his talent, whoever he was managing, Bobby was very conscious of putting over the opponent. Jimmy Hart was also very good, but Jimmy was a little bit more about putting over who he was managing. Very honestly, I, I I don't think Lou looked at it that way. Lou was just being Lou, and he was going to have a good time and hoped everybody, you know, loved the the interview. Yeah. So you know, they were totally different. You know, as I said, I loved working with Lou because you just never knew where it was going to go, but always in a good way, unless he'd really had a few, then you, you might have to, you know, redo it. Uh, Bobby also, he was just so creative and Jimmy was pretty measured in, in, in talking about the match and, and whoever he was managing all great, but again, at least from my standpoint, all a little different. Uh, Lou Albano always promoted the doom of the opponent. He would say about Pedro Morales that we're going to have 21,000 people at the garden. They're all going to come. We're going to take Morales after we beat them, drag them on 34th Street, put them down the sewer, flush them, and you people can go watch him being flushed down the sewer. And he do that with things with Bruno, etc. He was very, he spelled doom for the fan favorites and the fans love to hate him because of that. There was nobody like him that way. He was, he was one of a kind. There'll never be another Captain Lou Albano. Although by, by the time, you know, I got there and worked with them, he was so good and so outlandish about the things he was going to say. He was almost, you know, he was a heel, but the fans loved him. You know, they, they just loved him, you know, coming out. And honestly, 
I don't think Lou, part of it was due to his personality, Lou never had the amount of heat or hatred from the fans towards him that Bobby had in his heyday. Well, they, he did back in the 70s. Yeah, see, like I said, yeah they, that was before, they, but by the time, you yeah. know, I started working with it, you know, in the mid 80s. Uh, people love to love him, love to hate him, or just loved what he was going to say. Yeah, they couldn't wait. They wanted it. I mentioned this earlier on. They wanted Lou Albano's head. They really did. They, the, the Bruno and the Pedro audiences just were the night at the garden when we were taking pictures, me, George Napolitano, Paul Heyman, and a lot of the other photographers, we were terrified when Albano would come out into that ring because people just wanted to kill him. It's different, I guess, from a fan's perspective. You see Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart had very long runs with their talent, very invested in the talent. And Lou Albano, to me, again, from a fan's perspective, it was, you know, the talent doesn't have a manager, doesn't have a manager. Then Lou Albano comes and pushes them over the top, you know, a yeah. couple of matches, yeah. and then he fades away again and he's with somebody else. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that was the way they did it back then in the New York territory the three right. managers were always rotating and having new guys brought in to beat either bruno or pedro lou of course to, to wrap it up was also a big part of tuesday night titans which was the wwf's first cable show predated primetime wrestling and he was famously the person that turned george the animal steel a lot of people know george as the the lovable Lovable George the Animal Steel, but he was a monster heel in the 70s and the early 80s. And Lou Albano turned him into that lovable giant that we saw for uh, for the mid 80s. Yeah. 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 So got to go back and look at those skits. Guys, final thoughts on Lou Albano, Ken? Uh, just fun to be around in whatever vein you were working with him. Lou, uh, Lou Bill. <laughs> The greatest manager of champions that ever walked on the earth. The Captain greatest. Lou Albano had more tag team champions, I think, than any other manager in history. And the great thing about him was that he was totally believable. He was outlandish and totally believable. Very good. Now, listen, we, by the time when we record next week, we'll have watch many of you the macho man randy savage story on a and e biography bill and ken both worked with randy savage and randy savage we did a show in the very beginning that touched on some of randy savage but i think next week and and the three of us will discuss it off air but next week we'll consider bringing you another randy savage episode Ooh. Well, now, you know, you've read my book. I've read your book. Uh, there's wrestling a lot of, there was a lot of uh, a story in there where Randy literally was ready to kill me. Yeah, we have that. And that was that was on the the I think it was the first or the second show that we yeah, did. Yeah. But there's a lot more to unpack from Randy. Good and, stuff. Uh, I have a lot yeah. of good stuff. on. So there. we'll go back and uh, and, you know, we've had some feedback about maybe talking about some of those shows. 
if if we can fit some more Randy Savage into a show, and I'm sure we can, then we'll do it. If not, we'll bring you a very exciting topic that we'll announce on Twitter. Ooh, it sounds very good. Hey, Bruce, can I just mention that after the Randy Savage bio, uh, the Jerry Lawler WWE Lost Treasures is airing, and I will be a large part of that particular show on uh, Sunday night. So hopefully you'll all tune in because Jerry comes to After's Alley and he finds... I can't tell you. We're going to have to tune in. You're going to watch it, Ken? Oh, um, I'll try. (laughs) I think Ken is making jello that night. All right. Well, thank you guys. I I, I keep thinking throughout this whole show that if he had lived longer, can you imagine the commercials with Captain Lou for Captain Morgan's? Oh, my. What did Captain (laughs) Morgan the I'm rum. Not sure what that is? Great. Captain rum. What is it? Rum. rum. Oh, I don't drink. Rum. rum. Alcohol. Get me a bottle of sparkling ice or diet coke, caffeine free. I don't drink, so it's not I don't, on my radar. I haven't in a long time. Uh, Bill Abner, Ken Resnick, great, great hour, fast moving hour on Captain Lou Albano, and uh, remember, if this is your first time listening to. <laughs> Bill's got Captain Lou on the 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 uh, the video. You have to see that on premium. Captain Lou and Ken's got a big bottle of Captain Morgan. Well, Captain Lou's going over to Ken's box now. <laughs> All right, there you you guys hold up action figures. I've got Captain Morgan Black uh, <laughs> or Killer for uh, Bill After the <laughs> Wonderful Willie, the Legend Killer for Killer Ken Resnick. The Legend Killer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> legend maker i'm gonna get really in trouble by w. have a drink bruce the voice of choice bruce Ford. bill it's the moderna vaccine that i got it's making That's me punchy uh bill send us out all right we'll uh see you eventually at the matches we're without a mask ken the captain and i have some business to tend to have a good week everybody without a mask Gentlemen, the winner-